0: Welcome to mind money balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach woman of color and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. I am so excited to welcome this episode's guest, Dr. Marie Fang. Dr. Marie Fang is a psychologist and we met the old fashioned way on YouTube. (laughs) So there was a spell in my life where I was YouTubing and I loved it, but it was super, super time consuming. But Marie has really made this her calling. It is her jam. If you are in private practice, I highly, highly recommend you check out her YouTube channel, Private Practice Skills. She posts weekly YouTube videos talking about the mistakes she's made to prevent, help prevent other therapists from making them. I'm so excited to dive into our interview today, where we will talk about frugality, managing money, and travel hacking. And if you have taken a couple of episodes off over the Thanksgiving holiday, I want to let you know that I'm going to be bringing you podcasts twice per week. That's right. On Mondays and Thursdays, you will be hearing me and the Mind Money Balance podcast. And with that, let's get into today's interview. Hi, Marie. Welcome to the Mind Money Balance podcast. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. And for the listeners, the magic of podcast editing is that they don't know where we're doing this from or when this took place, but it is 9 a.m. my time here in Michigan, but Sweet Marie is in California, and it's six AM. So tell us, why are you up at six AM for this podcast?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a strategy I've been using, and this is this is true. Anytime you hear me on somebody else's podcast these days, is it, I try to see if they have any times that are before my daughter is awake. So she is, you know, snoozing in the other room, and I'm, we're just going to bang out the podcast before I have to put on my mom hat.
0: Love it, love it. So for folks who don't know you. What is private practice skills? Who is Marie Fang? Give us the the intro.
1: Oh yeah. Let's see. Well, we'll start with Marie Fang a little bit and then branch into private practice skills. I'm a psychologist and I do have my own private practice. I've been in private practice since 2012. Made every mistake in the book, still making a bunch of them, honestly. And one frustration that I felt over the years was just how hard it was to just find the answers to what I thought seemed to be like fairly straightforward questions like, like, what is an EIN and what do you use it for? Like, I don't know, this is jargon if you're not a therapist, but just kind of simple but hard to find the answers to sometimes questions. And so I love teaching and I, I started Private Practice Skills in 2018 as just a platform primarily on YouTube to help educate folks on all the stuff that I learned the hard way. And hopefully that so that other people don't have to do it through trial and error like I've had to for a lot of things
0: yeah so that's how i found you it was on youtube when i had tried my year of youtube I say that I have like a dusty YouTube channel that's kind of hiding under cobwebs, but it is there. And Marie and I did meet that way, which is so fun. I love YouTube as a platform. I actually love doing video as a content creator, but in terms of time and energy, as you know, Marie, a podcast is so much easier <laughs> to just get it out there. So I, I love video and do it when I can, but I'm really mostly on Instagram and the podcast. So what made you choose... YouTube as an outlet.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that too because when I imagine doing a podcast, that just sounds so mind blowing and I'm like, I don't even know how, right? So it's like you obviously own this platform. So (laughs) it's just you found your spot. I did YouTube. Let's see. Well, one reason is I really love watching YouTube. So I tried choosing a platform that I already love. And honestly, like I don't watch TV. I watch YouTube as a person. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, okay, this is my platform. I'm going to post to YouTube. And I was having trouble finding at the time, especially answers, questions I had on YouTube. Also, I have some exposure to having YouTube channels on unrelated topics in the past. So not that I was doing them well, but I had done some of it before. So those combined. And I think just like, I just have an easier time showing my personality. think on video for whatever reason. So yeah, those are some of the reasons why I picked YouTube.
0: Love it. And tell us a little bit more about you have kind of two arms of your business similar to me. I have the arm of my business that is clinical where I see clients. And then I have the arm of my business that is really built to help other folks. And sometimes that looks like group coaching around money mindset. Right now, I'm running a program for private practice therapists to help them overcome their money mindset and really scale their businesses to a sustainable level. Tell us a little bit about each of the branches of your business.
1: Yeah, I know. It's amazing how many things you're up to, Lindsay. It blows my mind. There's really just a couple of things. I see clients in private practice still remotely right now these days. And then for private practice skills, it really is primarily YouTube right now. So I'm not doing extra one-on-one consulting or other things because I really hoard my time. But I have just barely soft launched, finally, my first (laughs) e-course. So that is the goal is to have a few e-courses that are maybe a little bit more affordable and accessible for therapists to use to get started in private practice. So that is one little branch that's like finally getting started two years in is that e-course.
0: And I, I love that, it took a little bit of time and in the first episode of season two of this podcast, I shared with listeners that one of the lessons I learned from season one was just that things take time and we have to practice patience and that comes to whether we are business owners or not. When it comes to our money and we are working on saving or paying down debt, that stuff takes time and we often want these like really rapid results. So I love hearing that you know you did get your course off the ground. It might not have been on the same timeline you did vision, but you still did it. So So let's talk money, Marie. Tell me a little bit about what I love about your intro on YouTube is that you say like you've made all the mistakes basically to help the viewers not make those same mistakes. So tell us some of the maybe money mistakes you made in starting in private practice.
1: (sighs) Yeah, so many, but (laughs) I I was reflecting on like, is there a theme to my mistakes and they're Definitely is. Ooh, I'm excited. Um, And so for me, and this is still an issue, but I think I've gotten a little better. My issue is I am so frugal to a fault, I would argue. And to kind of like paint a picture from outside business world, like to this day, 100% of my clothing and my daughter's clothing – Is Not just from the thrift store, but from the clearance rack of the thrift store Like I just like I'm totally allergic to paying full price for anything And if I know there's a thing available at a lower price, I'm gonna go for it. So it's like it's extreme (laughs) Or I from relative to my circles. It seems a little more extreme. So I would avoid paying for anything at all at all costs (laughs) Pun intended there. (laughs) So that was an issue. It made things go slower for me, for sure. Like if, and you know, things were different back then, but if there were courses available, I would say, you know, here's how to get started in private practice. I mean, that would be so worth, you know, a few hundred dollars, even a couple thousand dollars to just save all that heartache and money later versus just doing things wrong. And then you still have to pay stuff down the road to fix it (laughs) or you did it cheaply first and then you paid a professional to do it better the second time. It's more expensive. So that is the theme to like all of my money mistakes.
0: And thank you, Marie, for pointing out how it might be a mistake because, at first, listen for somebody to say, I'm so frugal. It's almost like in a job interview when they're like, I'm too hard of a worker. You're like, come on, Marie, that's a problem. But I love how you tied it in to say, yes. I mean, in, in terms of what's going on in my savings and checking account, being frugal has really served me well. But in terms of professional growth and development and ease of, of learning things the hard way, it would have been, in a lot of cases, better to have invested upfront, whether it was in software or courses or you know professional development. I love that you tied in how it was a mistake. And how have you been working on overcoming those frugal tendencies when they rear their head? Yeah, I
1: think the learning for me right now is kind of determining what categories are worth being frugal to me and my values as well. And what things are worth spending money on. And like, also, as you were saying that really... If I spend a little bit of money on something that's worthwhile up front, it still ends up being cheaper in the long run because you get there faster and all this stuff. So it still leans into the like save money mindset, um, which is a huge value of mine. So yeah, I mean, stuff like my clothing, I'm still shopping at the thrift store in the clearance section because for me, it's not a value that like that clothing has that brand new tag or designer name. I, I care about fashion, but it could look a certain way, whether it's from here or there spending a little extra money doesn't add much value to my life if I did that with clothing for me. But spending a little money on whether it's an e-course on getting started or you know a mistake I made is like shopping around for a website designer and getting a cheap price. Spoiler alert, that website designer ditched me halfway through, totally ghosted me, couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's what I got for paying probably like a fifth of market rate. I mean that should have given me some <laughs> signal that that wasn't going to work out.
0: Yeah, so, so that's where you get what you pay for kind of came into play.
1: Absolutely, especially any so any time it's paying a professional to do something or educating myself and gaining knowledge. I am learning that now through trial and error too. Whenever I do it, it always pays off. Like, I, and it always helps my business. I always earn more money. I'm less stressed. You know, I feel like, oh, good. Like this professional is going to help me fix it because I don't know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how I'm learning to discern when it's worth spending something and if something's just too stressful to try to save the money too. Sometimes it is worth paying a little bit for something.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for these tips. They're so helpful. I get a lot of inbox messages and DMs about two things. One is like, I'm a spender, right? We hear that all the time. But the other one is I'm a saver to the point where I don't enjoy my life. And I love, Marie, what you just pointed out, which was that it's a process to kind of figure it out. You do have to kind of make some, some hard mistakes. In your example, hiring somebody who is a website designer who was way below market rate. And it turns out there was probably a reason because they took your money and ghosted, which is such a hard lesson to learn. So I'm hoping for listeners out there who also identify as frugal, that you can learn to spend your money in accordance with your values. It doesn't mean go out and like buy a speedboat to to try and overcome this frugal tendency, but to think about where does it make sense to spend. Um, And Marie, you and I also share a funny way of saving money. And I don't, maybe it's not funny, but if you're not into it, it sounds bonkers, um, which is travel hacking. You and I both share yes. a love for travel hacking. Are you comfortable telling people what the heck that is? Oh,
1: I love like man, if I wasn't doing private practice skills, like let's do a channel about travel hacking. I love it. I am here it. for it. I am here for <laughs> yeah. it. Cause it's honestly like, wait, you can literally travel for free or almost for free to wherever you want in the world. And like, why is not everyone doing this? And of course, if everyone was actually doing this, then it wouldn't be possible anymore. But yeah, travel hacking and, and full disclosure, my husband is like the, the travel hacking captain in our family, and I'm just along for the ride. But travel hacking basically means you use like benefits and rewards often from credit card um, deals to essentially use points or use free benefits in order to book flights book hotels and we often get free car rentals and so you can see how between a flight hotel and a car you could travel largely for free otherwise we're just kind of thinking of things like making sure we eat food or we're doing a fun activity that maybe costs money but when we travel it's usually on the scale of you know like we can go to New Zealand for two weeks and, you know Back in the day when we could go to New Zealand and, you know, only spend maybe a few hundred dollars um, and just think like, oh my gosh, like why isn't everyone doing this? But it does take discipline because, you know, if you're opening a credit card, you need to not actually be accruing debt with that credit card. Use it like a debit card. I mean, I could trail off on this for the entire podcast episode, which I'm sure isn't what you're after. But it is amazing if people are interested in looking into it to just feel like you can go on vacation without like dipping into a significant chunk of your, I don't know, fun bucket or however you disperse your, your budget.
0: Love it, love it, love it, love it. I and again, I think it was on YouTube that I found out that you were into travel hacking because I'd posted something about one of our trips. my husband and I had taken we've we've again past tense been fortunate enough to take a lot of trips using travel hacking so leveraging the rewards points um and I think I had posted one and you were like, oh my gosh, my husband and I traveled to. I want to say Hawaii, but that could be wrong using travel hacking. And I was like, oh my gosh, kindred spirits. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It is so amazing. And yeah, I think we could go off on a tangent forever, but I like to just point out all of these different ways that you can leverage your money in alignment with your values. If travel is a huge value for you and you don't have a ton of financial means, but maybe you have a really good credit score and you're highly organized, then travel hacking might be that ticket for you. So do some Googling on your own. Maybe I'll post some links to some of my favorite resources. But again, it's about finding things that work for you. So coming back to you, we've talked about your frugal tendencies. We've talked about how you've overcome some of them when it makes sense for your values. And then again, leveraging some of the benefits of having a good credit score and being organized with your money is it safe to assume you've kind of always been interested in managing your money or is that a newer thing?
1: That, you know, I, that's an interesting question. I've never thought of it from that perspective. I would say if you'd asked me 10 or 15 years ago, if I was interested in managing my money, I would have said like hundred percent. Yes. And I would have pointed to frugal lady shops in the clearance section of the, the, you know, thrift store as my evidence for like, mm-hmm. I, I'm all about managing my money. But genuinely, initially, all I was doing was doing everything I could to spend as little as possible, but I wouldn't call it managing per se. It was more of an anxious process for me. Like, okay, I'm in grad school. I have like $25 to spend a month, literally. And so if that's going to cover like eating out, clothing, and any fun activities, like can it, my shirt cost $2 instead of $60? And that way I still have $23 left, right? So that was kind of, I mean, from that sense, yes, I've always been into managing money just from- having such a small budget in grad school. Mm -hmm. But marrying my husband has really been the thing that did it in because, you know, as people know, and as you definitely know, like once you get married, all your money stuff or, you know, you, you committed to a partner and share your finances, you're mind gets totally blown on like, oh my gosh, there's a totally different perspective on how to do money. And my husband is all about like thinking about the future. So it's Mm -hmm. not just, is that money in my bank account today? And did I spend less than that? I was always really good at that. But he's also like, okay, but what if we wanted to retire at 40? Like, could we, we could do it. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> that's not even like, I'm just spending less than I'm making. And so I'm saving some money and that should be good, right? So totally changed my perspective uh, of realizing like, obviously, there's more to planning for your future than just spending less than what you make. Mm-hmm. Now that's a good place to start if you haven't gotten there yet. So yeah, definitely uh, once, once my husband and I got married, I have had to adjust. He's probably had to adjust to me, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> as yeah. Well. I think partnership is a huge eye-opener into other people's money stories and their beliefs about money and what they prioritize. So take us back to maybe younger Marie. You mentioned that you were frugal, kind of starting around grad school. Had that always been your tendency or, or what was your some of your money tendencies? What were some of your money stories kind of pre-grad school?
1: Yeah. That was always true for me and I think okay. that that like frugal lady I call it like frugal lady <laughs> like this little, like, can I get the best deal? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have more of like a witch-like picture in my mind, like, (laughs) yes, it will save all the money. And I think as is true for probably most people's money stories is it's rooted obviously in in something more vulnerable than just like, I feel like saving money. And thinking back in my childhood, coming from a family where if any of us like wanted something, my parents would just buy it. Or even if Mm -hmm. I didn't want something or like speaking a little bit more vulnerable, like if, you know, my parents did something off base where it merited maybe an apology instead, right? No apology, but it would be like the next day my mom comes home with like, a kid you not, like a designer purse mm-hmm. and I'm like six. And even as a six-year-old and like with the price tag still on it, like, and as a six-year-old thinking like, I don't understand why one, I need a purse instead of an apology, but two, like is the fact that this price tag that it has so many zeros at the end of it. Like, does that somehow make you feel better? And so Mm -hmm. I started to develop a disgust for expensive things because I associated them with like a replacement for like genuine relationship and connection. Not that, and I want to clarify, I don't think expensive things are always a replacement for genuine connection. That's where I have to unlearn now, but that's how I came to associate it as a kid. So it's like, if I can do life and show that I'm happy and thriving and joyful without having to spend a lot of money on things, like, then that must be the real Like meaning of life. And I held that so tightly that it became problematic. But that's really where I think a lot of it, and that's just one story of kind of a whole money mindset uh, in my family growing up that I think contributed to me kind of initially essentially swinging the opposite direction on the pendulum. And then of course, having to readjust now, hopefully to a more balanced place.
0: Mm -hmm. And I, I love that story. I think it's so indicative of how young we are when we first start making associations between money and emotions. And so many of my clients will say to me like, Lindsay, I don't, I don't have a money story. My parents didn't talk about money, right? But oh. what we know is that <laughs> not talking about money is a, can cultivate a story in and of itself. And with your story to be so young and to start making those associations of when you make a mistake, you buy somebody a gift and being on the receiving end of that and saying, that doesn't feel good to me. I'm going to push away anything associated with money or material things. And that's how I'll protect myself and, and cultivate genuine relationships. You know, again, the way that our brain works, as we both know, being therapists is it's, it's rooted, It's, it's wired to try and keep us safe. And that is a great way to, to temporarily protect yourself, but, as you mentioned, it doesn't work long term to say the, the best way to manage my money is to hold on tightly to it, and that all material things are are bad, right? It, it, the black and white thinking just doesn't hold up. So thank you for sharing with us that story. I think so many people can relate to some of those early money memories.. Mm-hmm. Are there certain tools or books that you really have found to be helpful as you have gone on this money journey? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I was reflecting on that and thinking
1: like I am still so old school and that I do all of my own like money tracking. Like I don't use any app or anything like that. It's all Excel spreadsheets. And so maybe there's room to grow there as well. But It has been working so far, but I, I can see the edge of its capacity to serve me and my family. Yes. But I think for me, rather than it being like, okay, this book or this tool helped me keep my money organized It is more of like what sorts of resources help shift my mindset around money. And that's been helpful for me. And in particular, I think the kind of, mind-blowing shift for me, kind of from my 20s into my 30s, was realizing how if you take the right steps, then if you want to, you could retire younger than Mm -hmm. kind of the typical age. And my husband and I don't particularly want to retire. We're kind of imagining we'll just work forever because we both love our jobs so much. But the idea of like, you're not tied to your job for the purpose of money, you're tied to it because you're passionate about it. So there's lots of resources that I consume that are really, to that, the acronym for that is like FIRE, um, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And one podcast that my husband and I listen to is um, Paula Pant's podcast called Afford Anything. So that's one place people can start if that's that's a world that they're interested in, like, wait, you can retire younger. Or if you don't want to retire, just have that financial freedom that comes through you know, investing your money in ways that generate passive income so that if you want to, you can live off of that.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know you have found a system that works for you. And what I say to my clients too, Marie, is that, look, if the Excel sheet is working, then great. There's no reason if it ain't broke, right? If it's working for you and it helps you to feel connected to your money and it's an easy way for you to track, then great. Nobody says you need like the, the fanciest app on the planet where you need to hire like a CFP and a financial coach, right? If you have a, a method that works, that's great. And then offering that resource fire, I think is is really helpful. And I don't know about you, but I've seen definitely during the pandemic our values start to really be highlighted of of what is really important to us because for so many of us, we were in the routine of clock in, go to work, come home, do the tasks of like feeding your dog and or child, (laughs) getting a load of laundry done, maybe taking a walk, watching a show if you're lucky, and then falling asleep and rinse and repeat, right? I'm curious if you know, with the pandemic, any certain things have been highlighted? You've been so generous in sharing how you've been spending and saving in alignment with your values. Has any of that been impacted at all by the pandemic? One
1: thing that's come up as, you know, different folks in my circles asking, and we ask each other, like,
0: how are you doing with the
1: pandemic and everything is given the phase of life I am in already with, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, an infant and now a toddler is my life kind of looked the same (laughs) when Mm -hmm. shelter in place hit as it did before. Because it's just this like getting outside of the house with a baby is this like whole thing, (laughs) or at least for me. (laughs) And so it was often just me at home with my daughter. and, And aside from the like carrying the emotional weight of like, here's the reality of what's happening in our world. And it just impacting me, seeing how it impacts my clients. And so there's that emotional burden as far as how I'm directly impacted. I actually found it very relieving because suddenly no one's asking me to hang out. No one's asking me for their time. <laughs> so so that was one piece that really stood out is how much of my time I'm spending on things that, not that they're bad things, but maybe the percentage of time that I was spending on kind of giving my time to other people right. and realizing like suddenly I have so much more time. And yeah, maybe it, it ends up maybe saving money in some ways, I'm not like eating out and stuff, which is a splurge that my husband and I like to make so we'll spend money on eating out even though it costs more than eating in but yeah I think a lot of a lot of my life has been the same and then just even feeling freedom to like not have to give so much of my time away which was always true but I think I just the the pandemic has made that more apparent for me or easier to see it
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's allowed you to not feel guilty about saying no because everybody has the same like excuse. Can you hang out? No, that's you know our pods rules. Say you can't hang out with other people, or you know it's not we're not comfortable doing that. So yeah, that that's really interesting. So as we get ready to wrap up, Marie, I'm curious: one, where people can find you, and then two, if you could tell us a little bit more about the course that you shared at the beginning.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the best place people can find me is on YouTube. That's probably where most folks find me. So my handle on YouTube is Private Practice Skills. And that's, yeah, I'm there every week, sometimes twice a week, posting videos all about private practice and sometimes kind of more behind the scenes as well. Life as a therapist type things, and this course that I finally launched is all about how to DIY your therapist website that fills your practice without having to run ads. So the concept behind that was, you know, you could hire a designer to design a beautiful website for you, but that doesn't necessarily make it show up in Google search results, right? You're in charge of writing the copy of your web page Whether you have somebody helping you out with that or not, you kind of need to nail that on the head for clients to book with you. And then there's some SEO tools that are really essential in order to make sure your website shows up in Google search results. And that way you can fill your practice if you want to without running ads, nothing against ads, but that way you have more options. So that's kind of the concept behind the course.
0: I love that. And what I'm hearing is that Again, when we're spending money on things, so many people, business owners, regardless if you're a therapist or not, they're like, oh, once I get a website, I just want it to look really pretty. And and sure, a lot of people do land on our pages and want it to look professional, but what's going to keep them on that webpage and then also click book an appointment is knowing that they are the right client for you and that you're the right therapist or, you know, business for them. So what I'm hearing is that you're helping people create hardworking websites, not just pretty websites. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Marie. It was so good to catch up with you and I'm sure we will talk soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay.
0: Yes, of course. Before we get to Marie's takeaways, I wanted to remind you that applications are officially open for my nine-week group coaching program, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out. If you are listening to this, I want to invite you, if you are a private practice therapist, to apply. I am accepting applications until Wednesday, December 9th at midnight Eastern time. So if you are listening to this on the day that it is dropping, on November 30th, that gives you plenty of time, but do not wait. I cap it so that the group stays small and intimate, and I can give a lot of individualized time and make sure that everybody in the group gets to know one another and cultivate a sense of community and safety. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out is my nine-week group coaching program, built to help private practice therapists scale their businesses to a spot that is sustainable for them and is built on what works for them rather than just kind of rigidly adhering to somebody else's random guidelines. Rather than just picking a number out of a hat and saying, that's my fee, we will go through a tailored process to make sure that you know why you are setting your fee in that way, making sure that your fee supports your lifestyle, making sure that it's sustainable. You're not burning yourself out and working yourself into the ground. So we'll focus the first half of the group really around money mindset, money archetypes, digging into some of those stories that might be holding you back. And then we will shift into the strategy, the strategy of niching down. So you're not seeing a gazillion unaligned clients. You're only seeing the clients that really light you up and that you are really called to serve. We will talk about when you niche, how that helps to call in people organically through marketing, and we will also talk about marketing but we don't start with the marketing strategy. We end with the marketing strategy because I really want you to understand that this practice is tailored to you. I imagine if you are a private practice therapist, there is a reason you chose niching down into private practice, and it probably was because you didn't want to do things somebody else's way. So that is why we really focus on you and making sure that this practice is built for you before we fold in niching and marketing and, and now networking strategy. So if that sounds good to you, if you are sick of feeling like you just have to increase your hours to see a gazillion clients, I am here to tell you there is a better way, and I would love to help you in this program. So go to www.mindmoneybalance.com. Profitable practice, all one word, to make sure that you apply. And again, you have until December 9th, but if you are on the fence, definitely get your application soon. I do cap that the number of participants that join so we can make sure that the container is really intimate and special. And with that, let's get to the takeaways from Marie's interview. Takeaway number one, fruit frugality. This is something that we often tout as being a pinnacle of being good with money. And the reality is that Marie talked about being frugal actually held her back in a lot of ways. So finding that balance for you in the way that frugality can serve you, you know, so maybe leaning into that frugal nature in certain ways, but then also saying, where can I spend my money that will improve the quality of my life? And for some people that might look like, outsourcing to help have somebody help out around the house. It might look like spending more in the community on locally owned businesses. It might look like spending or investing more, right? So figuring out how to work with and also overcome frugality. If you have any of those frugal tendencies, takeaway number two, managing money is more than spending Plus, I loved when Marie shared how she differentiates between managing money and just cutting back. She said that for a long time, coping with money was holding on really tightly and it was coming from a space of anxiety. And she said now when she thinks about managing money, she thinks of it as more of an engaged and an intentional process. And she also shares, look, this is something that did not come easily. It has taken time. So for her, she's had to remind herself consistently that engaging with her money is more than just hiding it and hoarding it and spending less. Takeaway number three, Travel hacking. Now, this was a fun one that I had to sprinkle in there because Marie and I obviously share a love of travel hacking. But even if you aren't into leveraging your good credit for strongly reduced, strongly reduced, free or reduced travel, reduce cost of travel you'll, you know what i'm trying to say <laughs> even if you're not into travel hacking i think what this one really highlighted for me is that there are so many different ways that you can find an in to get excited about your money so it might not be travel hacking for you again you know thinking about your values it might be about saving money to take a big trip it might be about spending money on a car that you have been eyeing for a long time, but there are ways to get really excited about your money. And for Marie and I, we both really love leveraging our good credit for travel hacking. So anyway, those are the takeaways, overcoming frugality, reminding yourself that managing money is more than spending less and travel hacking as a way to have fun with your money. I will see you in the next episode. If you love this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at MindMoneyBalance with your favorite takeaway. I love seeing what resonates with my listeners and sharing it in my stories. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.